0: You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? All right, good. That's it? That's all I get? Awesome. All right, how's everybody doing? Happy Palm Sunday, yeah, are we excited? I brought my palm, I actually had to steal this from a neighbor because I don't have palm trees that I can reach, so about 11 o'clock last night I ran over and cut it from his house, thanks Mike, I appreciate it, um, so hope you don't miss it. He keeps his lawn very meticulous, so I was afraid that he might know, like wake up this morning and be like, who took my palm from? <laughs> so, uh, but here, this who loves Florida? Who loves being in Florida? Yeah. And I think, what is, what is Florida known for by majority of the world? Yes, we have like beaches and we have sunny weather, but, but we're known for palm trees. I mean, as a kid, my family would drive from New York, Long Island to the real New York, Long Island. Hey, forget about it, right? And then we would drive down 95 and we'd hit uh, south of the border, which is in the Carolinas. And then we'd hit Georgia and it smelt like sulfur. And then um, we'd get a little further and then there's peaches, yeah, okay. And then we'd hit, Florida, and what was the thing? We saw this big welcome to Florida sign with, you know, welcome to sunshine, and there are palm trees everywhere, and that's what we're known for, and and palm trees are known uh, as a known symbol of victory and strength, and so as we're celebrating Palm Sunday, we're looking at a passage of Scripture today where um, we are looking at the triumph of Jesus, but what is Palm Sunday, and why do we celebrate it? I mean, this isn't a American Christian holiday. I mean, it's not just something that we celebrate here in America. It's actually something that's celebrated all over the world, coming up, leading up to Holy Week and Easter. I mean, I think sometimes we can read this book. Kids, sometimes I think we can read this book and think it's just a book of fairy tales. But this stuff actually happened there was a man his name was Jesus and he walked on this earth and he did incredible things and as he was doing those incredible things he started taking a journey to a place called Jerusalem and that was a place where, where he was gonna go and claim his victory but not in the way that everyone expected it or anticipated it and so am I doing well? I feel like I'm getting some feedback am I good out there? I'm good out here. All right, sweet. So, Luke 19, 28 through 41. Now, it doesn't mention palm trees and palm fronds. All right, so we have to go to other texts that talk about this triumphal unfree. It's not, this isn't a uh, Cloak Sunday, right? We're not celebrating Cloak Sunday. We're celebrating Prom Sunday. So, in Matthew 21, verse 8, it's another uh, recount where Matthew is writing about what happened in this triumph, this triumph of Jesus walking into the city. It says, he, they spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. So here's this picture of what we would probably know of as like a parade. So I want us to kind of visualize like right now that we are in this place, Jerusalem, and and think about it as like the McGregor Corridor. How many of you have been by the McGregor Corridor? McGregor Corridor is known for palm trees, right? And so as you're driving down McGregor towards downtown Fort Myers, where the city is or the town is, I want you to picture that there is this man who you have heard stories of, who he did these crazy miracles, these amazing things that you got word of, and he is now riding in on a baby donkey, and maybe it wasn't the triumph that you were maybe ex- thinking in your mind or experiencing, but, but then you start recalling how you were taught in school. And when you were in school, you would memorize the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, and also you would learn some of the prophets of old. And in Zechariah, written 500 years before this point, there's a passage of scripture that says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous, having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the prophet was very specific about what was about to take place. The king, who was going to come and bring salvation to you, people of Israel, is going to ride in on a baby donkey. Like this is what they're experiencing, and they're recalling this, and they're remembering this, and so they begin to shout out what they read in the book of Psalms from their King David, and he would have written this: Psalm 18, 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. All right, I feel like I'm getting a lot of static up here. Am I cutting in and out, guys? How am I doing in the back? Let's hear for our AVL team. They're doing a great job. Sorry, I, my pack sometimes does this. Am I good? All right. So they're shouting out to king, they're shouting out to this man that's riding in on this donkey, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so they're taking and going down, like imagine going down the streets and like, McGregor corridor or you're like down your streets in your neighbor's houses like I did and cutting branches from people's trees and they're walking over and they're waving them and they're lifting them up in the air celebrating victory and triumph and then they're laying them down along with their cloaks they're putting them on the ground and the donkey is walking over these things and they're yelling out blessed be the name of the Lord this is the scene that we're coming into so this is a happy day right or is it is it because right at the end of this recalling of a story, Jesus starts to weep. Now why is Jesus weeping when all of a sudden he's coming in to this city to fulfill his, his destiny to bring salvation, to fulfill the will of God to bring salvation to all people? And he starts to weep. I wanna read, from you, uh, read for you what Eugene Peterson says He's paraphrasing paraphrasing Jesus' words in a commentary about Luke 19, 41 through 44. So he's talking about this passage where Jesus is weeping. It says, when the city came into view, he wept over it. If you had only recognized this day and everything that was good for you, but now it is too late. In the days ahead, your enemies are going to bring up their heavy artillery and surround you, pressing in from every side. They'll smash you and your babies on the pavement. Not one stone will be left intact. All this because you didn't recognize and welcome God's personal visit. So Jesus is riding in on a donkey. They see this. The Messiah has come. They're celebrating. But are they really worshiping? Are they really celebrating? What do they think is about to go on here? Why is Jesus weeping? Everyone is celebrating and, and Jesus begins to see deeper than what's on the surface. These people wanted salvation and success. They wanted the Messiah to march into this city. And, and do hard business with Rome. See, at that time, the Israelites were under deep, deep oppression from the Romans. And so they were being persecuted, they were being almost held as slaves. And, and they were getting taxed like crazy and they were working their fingers to the bone just to pay for what the Romans wanted to do to expand their kingdom. And so to them, when they thought salvation, they thought my temporary current situation. That's what they were thinking. They were thinking this Messiah is coming and he is gonna bring a heavy hand against the Romans and save us from them. And so I want you to now picture what you think that hero is gonna look like. I think he looks a little bit more like Iron Man and a little less like a man riding on a donkey. But here's what we gotta understand. We have to understand that, that there is a big difference between right-handed power and left-handed power. So Martin Luther wrote about this often, and he talked a lot about how we in the world think that there is something that is beneficial or good about using right-handed power. This is force, right? This is what we see in our world today. If we want something done, we use force. That's why if you make fun of someone's bride, they will get up in the middle of the Oscars and slap somebody. And it didn't go well for him, did it? Why? Because right handed power is temporary. There's wars that break out. What's going on in the Ukraine right now? But all of this has happened generation after generation after generation where where these leaders rise up and they try to use force to oppress people, and eventually it fades. It's temporary. And so now the Israelites are seeing this, this person come into this city, and they're like, finally, we get some relief from these taxes. Finally, we get to have what we want. We get to have our own land back. And Jesus is weeping, because he's like, you have no idea what's going on. In, on this day, they are yelling, blessed is he. But in a few short days, they're gonna be yelling, crucify him. Why? Because their belief came out of selfishness, not out of surrender. They wanted what they wanted, which was very temporary satisfaction from a momentary thing, not a forever change. And this is the problem that we have even today, is that we go to God most often because we want temporary satisfaction and change in our current circumstances. But God came to save us for all of eternity, And he says that this world is just a speck of dust. And so we as people who follow him are supposed to view everything in light of eternity, not in light of the temporary momentary afflictions that Paul writes about. And so, Jesus comes in to use what's called left-handed power. Now left-handed power is the power of love and forgiveness and sacrificial service. See, these people wanted to defeat the Romans, but God, he wanted to defeat sin. That's a very big difference. And he knew that the way to defeat sin was not through strong-arming the Romans, but actually laying down his life. And so, their celebration is fake, it's selfish. They are worshiping only to get what they want, and what they wanted was temporary. So do we praise and worship God because we know he's real and believe he's the savior of the world or because he gives us what we want? I'm gonna say that again. Do we worship Jesus because he is the savior of the world and he brings us salvation from our sins or because he only gives us what we want? These are very different forms of praise and celebration. It's kind of like my girls. Um, if they want something, what do they do? I'm sitting on the couch. They come over and they sit down next to me and cuddle up. Daddy, you're the best. Daddy, ha- Have I told you lately that I love you? What do you want? Right? But that's what, that's what human flattery is, right? Daddy, I'm going to celebrate you because I need something. I want something. Do you ever find yourself going to the Lord more because you need or want something than in the moments where you have what you need? We tend to fall on our knees when we're broken, but what about the moments where things are going well? We kind of let our relationship with God go by the wayside sometimes. Why? Because, oh, we're not in need of you. So, So God becomes this like genie in a bottle where when we need something, we're gonna go and ask for a few wishes and then live our lives like normal but that is not normal and that's not how God has created each and every one of us. He has created us to sit at his feet day in and day out whether things are good or whether they are bad, whether we need something or whether we don't. God has created us to be in relationship with him. Imagine if the only time I interacted or engaged with my wife is when I needed something. That's not a relationship. That's an employee. So, If you profess that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, if you are one that is gonna cut down some palm branches and lay your cloak down and say, blessed is he, then are you serving him and worshiping him with your entire life, with everything? One of the most impactful moments of my life when I was 16, I was down in Mexico on a missions trip and there was a band playing, their name was Kenisa. It was a band from Africa and the guy started speaking about our relationship with God in a way that I never heard before. See, I knew that God wanted me to t- confess the bad stuff. And I knew he wanted me to praise him with the good stuff, but there was a lot of stuff in between the bad stuff and the good stuff. Just kind of everyday life. I was a baseball player in that day of life, Little League. And, um, and so that was just kind of like, I had good games and bad games, I liked to play baseball, but it wasn't like a bad thing that I did. And it wasn't like this really good thing that I did to serve the Lord, I just played baseball. And this man said something that changed my life. He said, God doesn't want the bad or the good he wants it all, 100% of who you are, in full surrender to him. He wants the good, the bad, and the in-between. And it was like this, like, poof, this light bulb that went off, because I'm going, I thought that I had my life to live as my life. Like, I thought I could just kinda do what I wanted to do, and along the way, when I messed up, I said, I'm sorry, and along the way, if, like, I did something really good, I'm supposed to point up to God and, like, like you know, Tim Tebow and say, yeah, he did it. It's not what God has called us to. He has called us to be in relationship with him. So he's coming into the city on Palm Sunday and he starts to weep. And so now we're gonna go into a passage of scripture because we've been in the book of Ephesians. Now if you have a Bible, open up Ephesians chapter two because I think this is super relevant to where we're coming into in this this holy week and the season of Easter. Here's my question, why am I laying down my palm branch? Selfishness or surrender? Here's why Jesus was weeping. Ephesians chapter two, verses one through three. And you, hey, does anybody know who's included in that? All of us, including me and including you in case you think you're an exception. Jesus is looking at these people and he's realizing that they're not understanding why he's coming. He's not coming to bring them temporary relief from Roman oppression. He's coming to free them from their sin, to give them life, and what the Bible says, life to the full. But Ephesians 2 says we are dead. You know what dead people do? They follow the prince of death. So we are dead following this prince of death and we're refusing to obey God. This is what we spoke about last week. That we can either submit to God's authority or not. There's two choices here. God says what God says and we believe it and we follow it or God says what what he says and we say we don't want to follow it. We live in a world right now that says what God says doesn't matter. He may be real, he may not be real, but... We're not going to follow what he says. So then governments begin to make decisions based off of what they think is right and good. So in the name of love or what they think love is, they're going to start leading our country and our nations to do stuff that's against what God's word says. And then once they start doing that, then a lot of times what happens is the church culture begins to fall underneath that. And they say, oh well, if they're saying it's okay, then maybe it is okay. And so then the Pope gets up and says, eh, I don't know, maybe, maybe we can do this, maybe civil unions okay, maybe, but we're not following this. So the governments begin to, to say, we're not gonna submit to God's authority, we're gonna do what we want. And like in the book of Judges, It says each man did what was right in his own eyes and there was no king in the land. And so we are living in a land with no king because we as a culture have decided that what we want is more important than what God wants. And so then after the governments fold in, then the schools fold in and they start saying, no, we need to teach these things to the kindergartners, why? Because they want to to impact and infiltrate a world and let them know that what God says doesn't matter. And then we put these Disney movies up that have all these things in them. Why? Because we want that to impact their eyes. And what comes into the eyes impacts the heart. And so we begin to make these little compromises. It's not that bad. It's not that horrible. Well, we can have a conversation after this and this stuff is just bombarding our kids. It's bombarding our teens. It's bombarding our college students and it's bombarding our lives and we're turning a deaf ear to it and we're turning a blind eye to it because we're going, you know what? We don't really think that we need to fight this fight because what we're doing is we're saying it's okay for God's word and God's authority to be placed on the ground and be trampled over like palm branches and cloaks. And these aren't political statements. And I think that sometimes we really can mix up what is political and what is biblical. God's word is God's word. And God's word stands true forever. We don't have the ability to all of a sudden say, well, I'm gonna take this part, but then this stuff, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, you know. Times have changed. Who are we? To speak to a holy God and say that, eh, your word is irrelevant. Jesus is weeping not only over these people, but over us. Because we are laying down our lives to the world and not to Him. And, church, that is not what we're called to. God didn't go to the cross for you and I to take a back seat to the world. He has given us the power of his Holy Spirit so we can stand up and proclaim his word and say what he says is true. It's his authority, nothing else. And we're not gonna misinterpret it. We're not gonna make it say what we wanna say. We're not gonna use it to manipulate people. How often do I see in marriages that that the husbands or the wives are using this to manipulate one another? Well, the Bible says, stop it. This isn't a book so you can manipulate somebody. This is a book to tell you how to worship God, the creator of all things, and be in relationship with him. This is a book about him. That's why we start our mission with love God. Why? Because as we understand God's love for us, then we can begin to even fathom what it means to love him. And once that love relationship begins to form, then I can understand what it means to love others. But I can't do that if I don't have a love for him because God is love. So, why am I laying down my palm branch? We are dead. We, and the dead follow the prince of death and the, death, the dead refuse to obey God. They live in the passions of the flesh. This is the idea that the culture puts out there of whatever feels good, whatever feels right, What's the big one? Put it on a coffee mug. Follow your heart. Oh, the Bible says the heart is wicked above all things. Well, yeah, but, no, but. I can tell you my heart, it is very wicked. And I need the gospel day in and day out to penetrate my heart so that I can know what it means to love my kids and love others well, my wife. So, what is the dead and those that refuse to obey God and living in the passion of love, what does that all equal? Children of wrath. There is a promise that we have here in Scripture that I think we forget about. God will pour out his wrath upon all sin. Imagine standing in front of a dam that's a 100 miles wide by a 100 miles high that's holding back the floodgates of God's wrath and you're standing at the base of it. If that thing broke and God's wrath was unleashed, would you be alive or dead? What about if you had a lot of money? You could, you could maybe, what, what about if you were like super, super smart or successful? What about if you were really popular, if you get like over 100 likes on a picture on your Instagram? Are those things going to hold back the wrath of God? No. So what do we need? We need a savior. We need someone that is going to absorb the fullness of all of that wrath on our behalf. Verse four. But God, being rich in mercy, Because of the great love with which he has loved us. Even when we were dead, not because you cleaned up your act, not because you got it all together, not because you're really pretty, even when you were dead, an enemy of God, even when we were dead in our trespasses. God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. This is the beauty of the gospel. This is the beauty of of why Jesus got on that donkey in the first place and started going into Jerusalem. Because of his love in which he loved us, because of his great mercy, because of his amazing grace that he journeyed into that city. And yeah, I know, like, it's like, yeah, yeah, preacher, I know that, move on, give us something new. There is nothing new. Like, this is the only story that will ever bring salvation to any single one of us. And people can tune that out, and people can say, I don't believe it, people can say he didn't exist, or we can keep going on with our lives, like, I don't know. But God, Being rich in mercy because of the great love in which He has loved you and you and you and you. Because of the great love in which He has loved us, He laid down His life. You want to know why Palm Sunday is so amazing? Because Jesus kept going. Jesus kept going straight to the cross. This is the good news of Palm Sunday. If we wanna celebrate something, we're gonna celebrate the fact that he went into that city and he kept going straight to the cross where he was gonna have his flesh ripped out of his body, where he was gonna be hung unjustly. Why? Because of left-handed power. Because he knew that the thing would absorb all of the wrath of God was not defeating the Romans, but defeating sin itself. And sin itself was the thing that was destroying the Romans and causing them to oppress the Israelites. And although we still live in the already but not yet, you know what I mean by that? Where it's like sin has been conquered fully, but yet we still live on earth where there is sin that's still present, we can look with full anticipation, full anticipation for what is to come. Because we know that one day every knee will bow, And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And the good news of the gospel is that he has come to save the least, the lost, the broken, the hurting. And if you're one of those today, there is a God who loves you and wants a relationship with you. And if you have believed that your whole life, today is a renewed day for you to remember that God, so many years ago, has saved your soul. And so what do we do about this? If we truly believe, if if the reason why we are laying down our palm branches on the ground, if that is truly why, if you really surrender and you really truly believe that this is good news, who are you going to share that with this week? Church, the reason why there is a lost and dying and broken and hurting world around us is because we are not speaking up and we're trying to give them more three steps to a better you than we are giving them the gospel of Jesus. Stop trying to make people better people. They're still dead. You can't take a corpse and teach them how to be better. What they need is they need life. And what is life is the name of Jesus. That he has lived the life that you and I couldn't live, that he has died the death that that you couldn't die, and he rose again. So next week, we get to come in here and celebrate the fact that he is alive. Amen? And so, today, why are you laying down your palm branches? Why are you standing up and singing? The band's playing and we're singing songs. Why are you taking a beautiful Sunday morning to come here? Is it because of duty? Is it because it's just what you do on a Sunday morning? Teens, preteens, are you, you coming in here because your parents dragged you in here and they said you had to sit in this seat? Or are you coming in here because you know that there is a God who loves you and he wants a relationship with you and he journeyed from the donkey all the way to the cross so that you may know that you are seen, that you are loved, you are known. Church, that's the good news that we want to share to a lost and dying and broken and hurting world. Amen? Can I pray for us? Jesus, I just think about this scene of you riding on this donkey into this city and how your heart is breaking Not because you know that you're about to suffer a horrific death, but because you know that there are people there that don't know you and aren't going to be in relationship with you for all of eternity. God, for every single person that doesn't profess faith in you, your heart breaks for. You have invited your church, your bride, To join you on mission. To reach every man, every woman, and every child with what you call is good news. That there is nothing that we can accomplish on our own. That there's nothing that we can earn. But that you in your love and your mercy and your grace gave up your life so that we may have life. So God... I pray right now that if there are hard hearts of stone in this place, that you would take those stones out and put in a heart of flesh, that your spirit would stir in us a passion and a desire to leave this place and share this good news with everybody we come in contact with. God, penetrate our hearts and our minds and help us to know and believe that you are good and your mercy endures forever. God, we love you and we thank you. It's in your name that we pray.